Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Good to be back after a week. Always good when the uh, card key works. You know, you, there's always that moment when you've been gone for a little while. You pull up and you pull out the card key to open the gate to get into the parking lot. Always a good thing when when that does in fact work. So it is nice to be here. Thanks, to Scott Warris, for filling in. All right, let us get started. So I I flew. I was in Florida. So a week ago Saturday, I'm at the airport flying down to Florida. I'm sitting in the gate waiting for the plane to be called. Um, Under President Biden's rules, all federal airports, you you have to wear masks. So I've got my mask on and I'm I'm looking around at the gate area waiting for my flight. And I would say 50 percent of the people are wearing masks appropriately. I would say another 30 to 40 percent are, are are wearing masks, but they're really not. You know, the, the mask is down. They're, they're, it's not over their nose. I'm just I'm looking and it's and it's not they're not pulling it up. It's just it's uncomfortable. They don't want to wear it over their nose. So their nose is exposed. And then there's 10 percent who are just aren't even trying. I mean, they've got the mask on. It's under their chin and they're and they're not actively eating or drinking. So I'm thinking you, you're getting really about 50 percent compliance. So last week I was in Florida and Florida has has all sorts of different rules as you might expect, but pretty much a lot of the dining is outdoors and nobody's wearing masks in the outdoor setting. You go into the stores and I, I would say a good portion of people are still wearing the, the masks that are indoors. So, all right, I, I mean, it's kind of taking this in because my ultimate question is going to be, uh, is mask wearing now starting to, to jump the shark? And is it going to be more difficult to get compliance moving forward? So I, I come home on Saturday. My flight got in about 12 o'clock Saturday, drive out to um, West Bend and pick up the dog from Sister Pat and then kind of drive back. And like I say, my wife's not coming back till tomorrow. So I'm sort of on my own. So I'm kind of just at the house watching watching sports, order a pizza, watch sports, get reacquainted with the dog. And I'm watching the Brewers game on, on Saturday night. And again, it's social distancing at the Brewers game. They're operating at what, 20% capacity, whatever it is. But I'm looking at the people that are, are constantly on television. I'm just watching the TV feed. And again, I would say, you know, 50 to 60% are, are wearing masks, you know, that they're just on TV. And I would say, again, there, there, there's another, there's another percentage who are are wearing masks kind of sort of, but they're not wearing a right. And then there's a, a boatload of people, I would say two out of every ten, who aren't wearing masks at all. And, and they're never wearing masks because they're they're on TV, they know they're on TV, and they're they're just they're just there. They want to be recognized on TV. So maybe they have a mask around their their neck or not, but they're they're not wearing masks, period. And I'm kind of noticing this and I'm thinking, well, all right, I understand Major League Baseball, and it's Major League Baseball's rules say that you're supposed to wear the masks in, in this setting, despite the fact that you're socially distanced. But I'm sitting there thinking, all right, well, here's the deal. For example, there were there were two guys. One guy was wearing a mask. They were on TV all the time. One guy was wearing a mask. One guy wasn't. Never had the mask on. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, well, here's the deal. You know, should we be concerned about this because... First of all, they're, they're separated from everybody else. There's, there's nobody near these two guys. 
they undoubtedly or most likely came together. I mean, they, they drove in a car together. So, you know, chances are they were sitting in the front seat together. They weren't wearing masks, so they were exposed to each other. So I found myself asking myself, does it really make any difference? Now, I, I, I noticed it because the rules say you're supposed to do it, and I'm a follow-the-rules kind of guy. But I was thinking as a practical matter, under these sort of settings, the guy is in his seat. He's not near anybody except the other person who's with him, and he's not wearing a mask. And I thought, okay, is it any is requiring him under these circumstances, sitting in the seat, not talking about getting up and walking up to the concession stands to get a beer or a hot dog or whatever. I'm just saying, looking at this guy sitting in his seat next to somebody who, again, he came to the ball game with, who's obviously not concerned that the man's not wearing a mask. You know, requiring the guy who's not wearing the mask to do to put on a mask, is there any real purpose in that? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand the Brewers have no choice. It's a Major League Baseball rule. You, you wear masks. But I was trying to think through, think this through. You're in the stadium. You're away from everybody else except the person that you came with. Or in the case of another situation where there was one guy not wearing a mask, it looked like he was his family. It looked like his wife and, and two kids. So you're going, you're, you're in your family unit or you're with your friend. You're not near anybody else. Under those circumstances, does the mask rule really make any sense? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I look at it and say, okay, under these circumstances, now I think it's easier just to have a rule. Everybody's supposed to wear a mask, although this guy is, these people clearly weren't complying. But if you think about this logically and objectively, all right, th- does the mask rule under these circumstances make any sense? And I have no idea whether the people were vaccinated, which would add another level to this. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, it was tough for me to get too bent out of shape about this because I'm thinking, okay, the guy's probably been vaccinated, but regardless, he- he's he's only affecting the person he came with. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, again, I was watching the ball game on Saturday night, and a lot of people in the stands at, are, are, are wearing masks. But a lot of people aren't, and, and they weren't making any pretense about it. And I was sitting there thinking, well, again, I'm looking at this one guy. He's there with his buddy or, or whatever. Guy's not wearing a mask. Didn't have a mask on the entire night. At least every time the TV camera w- was on him, he didn't. But I'm thinking, all right, well, whether or not he's vaccinated, does it really make any difference? Because he... He, he's only with that one person. You're socially distanced from everybody else. They probably came together in a car where they weren't wearing masks, and you're in an outdoor environment. 855-616-1620. Sandy. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Say, this is my thought on, on this whole mask and no mask, is I've done my part. I'm fully ma- um, fully vaccinated. Um, the uh, probability of me getting COVID is very unlikely. Um, I'm done wearing a mask. I've, I've injected the vaccine into my body and I see no reason why due to the effectiveness of the vaccine, why I would still need to wear a mask. So I'm going to assume when I see people walking around with no mask that they are vaccinated because that, that is my case. Now I'm a, I'm a rule player as well. 
I'm going to be um, going out of state at the end of the month, and I assume, you know, after listening to you, I'm not sure how how they, strictly they enforce the mask at the airport, but um, I, I don't understand why we have to wear a mask if we're fully vaccinated due to the effectiveness of the vaccine. Well, I mean, th- thanks for the call. I mean, what, what the experts will tell you is that um, they, they can't, even though the, the vaccine has a 95% efficiency rate, they are, they are worried, even though there's no science right now to suggest that somebody who's been fully vaccinated might become an asymptomatic carrier, that you could get it, not have symptoms, and still pass it on. Now, if you follow the science, there's, there's no evidence that suggests that. But the experts will tell you, well, we're, we're still a little bit worried about this. To me, that's, a, again, you know, angels dancing on the heads of pins. But the rules are wear the mask. I think people should wear the mask. But at the same time, I guess the issue becomes, does something like this make sense? This is kind of like the discussion about tailgating. Does it does it really make any sense to say to people, and this is this is the city of Milwaukee's orders, that, that you can't tailgate outside at, at, at I was going to say Miller Park, American Family Field. You, you show up in a car with with the people that you are with you drive to the stadium in that car presumably you know you're, you're not wearing masks so you're, you're exposing each other in that car but you're probably member many cases you're members of the same family is there really any purpose to saying you can't get outside the car start up a grill behind the car and play catch i mean and when you think about it logically it makes absolutely no sense at all other than the fact that they just want to have that rule because they don't know how they could enforce it if you try to do it on an individual basis. But I, I do think that, you know, you're in one of these situations where I think more and more people, especially to your point, after they've been vaccinated, are going to say, OK, look, I feel comfortable going about my life, which is one of the reasons why you saw the CDC late last week decided to, to finally change the, the rules, which said that, well, all right, we, we don't. If we're following the science, we don't have any good reason why people who have received both the vaccinations and have waited that two weeks, why they should not be able to travel. Um, let's talk to Florence. Florence, you're on WTMJ. Well, first off, I would never assume just because someone isn't wearing a mask that they've been vaccinated because so many people before refused to wear masks because they didn't believe in the virus. So I would never assume that just because they're not wearing one, um, they've been vaccinated. But to your point about should those two gentlemen have the masks on, whether they came together or not, if the Brewer organization made the rule and regulation that you're supposed to be wearing a mask, then I would say that, yes, you should be wearing the mask mm-hmm. because they're setting the rules. That's the rules. Don't disagree. I'm not their I'm, property. Okay. I'm a rules so and rules guy. Who's to say, and I am too. So who's to say that the Brewers organization won't come back at some point and say, you know, we'd really like to increase our capacity from 20,000 or 20% up higher. But, gee, you know, we've got people that we've asked to wear masks and they're not wearing the masks. Well, let me ask you the flip side of that question, though, Florence. Does, under the scenario I was just talking about, does the mask rule make any sense? You and your you and your girlfriend drive to the game together. You've both been vaccinated, or maybe you haven't been vaccinated, but you're together in the car. You're sitting in the stands next to each other. You're not close to anybody else. Does the mask rule under those circumstances make sense? Does the rule make sense? No, but it's a rule that they have put in place. Right. And like I said, you know, we're human beings. Right. We're given an inch, we take a mile. 
Got it. Okay, thanks. No, and I think that's. I, I think that's. That's. You know, the, the the argument is the best argument. I, I think is okay. Well, we we can't selectively enforce this, and we we'd have some people that would just get hysterical if we said once you're in your seat that you can take off the mask. But I, I do raise this question about again what. What is the purpose of the mask rule once you get to your seat? If, you know, you're you're surrounded again by family members or a friend or whatever. Now, I do acknowledge that that maybe that mask rule becomes more more viable and makes more sense once you start increasing the seating capacity and then you're around strangers. But right now, you're you're not. Right now, they've got everything separated. There's a third capacity. Nobody is close to each other other than the people you came with. And I mean, again, from the brewer's perspective, I don't know how you enforce this. I mean, I, again, I was watching TV, and I the, the people that I saw not wearing a mask were not wearing a mask the entire game. Let's talk to Mike. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing? Hey, um, I'd like to say that uh, if all the employees at Miller, or excuse me, at uh, American Family Field have to wear masks, I, I think as a courtesy, everybody else should. And you talked about uh, when they increase the the populations in the stadiums, um, you know, that's going to change things, too. So why don't we just uh, abide by what we're supposed to do and wear the mask? And, and to tell you one thing, I, I've gotten more compliments on my mask <laughs> than I've ever gotten on my face. <laughs> what, I'll, okay, now, so, now I'm intrigued, Mike. What's your mask? What, 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 what's the mask you it's wear? A, it's, it's a brewer's mask, of oh, okay. course. Got it. Okay, good enough. No, th- thanks. No, look, and I, I look. I, I started this out. See, there's two issues. I, I understand the rules are you have to wear it. The rules were when I was sitting, you know, at the airport a week ago Saturday. You have to wear it. I, I wear it. I, I'm going to comply. I, I've had COVID. I've had my first shot. I'm getting my second one next week. I really don't think, and I don't think there's a likelihood in any statistically, if you follow the science, I don't think I'm likely to spread it. But that's okay. You know, I'll, I'll wear it. That's what the rules say. But I do think we're getting to a point where we, we now have to. If we're going to follow the science, I think it's fair to say, why Why is it that we're doing this? Why is it that you're sitting in a baseball game with a third capacity? I'm not picking on the Brewers on this. This is the city of Milwaukee, and it's Major League Baseball and all those things. You're sitting in a, in a baseball stadium where you're, you're spread out from other the people that are other than the ones that you came with. All right, what what is the purpose of wearing the mask? Now, if you're interacting with other people, going up to the stands to order a beer or whatever, that that's that's a different story because then you're interacting with people. And maybe the simple answer is just, well, you you can't we, we, we don't feel comfortable saying you can sit in the stands and not wear a, a mask. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I went Thursday, and when we were in our seats, we never had our masks on. No one said anything, and none of us are vaccinated. We wore them around the concourse, though. Um, I don't believe, I'm with you, I don't believe that there's any purpose in doing this. Um, Jeff, you don't actually know if these individuals did drive together. They could have just come separately. You need to enforce the rule, just wear the mask or don't go. Depending on their seats, they could infect players. 
depending on their seats, they could infect players. Well, okay, now I think we're starting to get into kind of like like crazy town sort of things. And and speaking of, you know, the the infections and stuff like that, here's the deal. What you need to do is, I'm watching some of these college basketball things or the pro basketball things. I mean, what's with the coaches that pull down? They've got these mask rules and the coaches, they've got the masks around their neck and they're yelling and they're in there. I mean, at some point in time, I guess the question is, are we really doing stuff right now that makes people safer or are we virtue signaling when we come back if major league baseball the city of milwaukee seriously wants major league baseball tell you what i can tell you what i think tom barrett needs to do if he wants the all-star game stick around welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj All right, even though I was on vacation, I sent out a couple tweets, and, and one we're, we're going to talk about in the next segment of the program, uh, Major League Baseball making the decision to pull the All-Star game from Georgia. And you, you want to talk about a, a knee-jerk reaction. This is a knee-jerk reaction. But Tom Barrett swoops in, and I give him credit. Barrett says, hey, look, if we're not going to have the All-Star game in Atlanta, bring it to Milwaukee. And, you know, in some respects, it makes a lot of sense. You've got, you know, Miller Park that's there, You've got, which has got a roof, so you, you know that the game is going to go on, rain or shine, so you're going to be able to play the game. In addition, there is the tie to Hank Aaron, who had most of his career in Milwaukee. It makes, it makes eminent sense. But, but here's you know, my suggestion, and it's something I think the mayor really needs to think about. If Tom Barrett seriously wants to have the All-Star game move to Milwaukee, either removing or substantially increasing the capacity limit at American Family Field and allowing tailgating would be good first steps. Why do I say that? Because at the end of the day, Major League Baseball wants to make money. And in Texas, for example, you could go, you could have the All-Star Game in Texas, you could have 40-plus thousand people there. All right, You could have a full stadium because they, they don't have capacity limits. In Milwaukee, Right now, you've got the capacity limit of, what, 20% or, or whatever it is. If the mayor seriously wanted to really be able to go to Major League Baseball and say, look, this, this is what we can do, I think what you have to do is you have to start looking at saying, all right, let's increase the capacity limit. Major League Baseball, you bring the All-Star game here. We're looking at the pattern of vaccinations and things like that, and we believe that by the time the All-Star game rolls around in mid-July, we believe that you know we could be operating at full capacity, or we believe that we could be operating at 75% capacity. We could put a whole lot of butts in the stands, and wouldn't that be great? Unless you do that, I think that Milwaukee really doesn't have much of a chance because Major League Baseball, I think, is going to be looking at going where where the rules allow people to be in the stands in much larger numbers than 20%. Just saying. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. Millions were laid off. The stock market plunged and investor confidence was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management and our very own Steve Scafidi shared advice and tips during a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World. If you missed the event and just want to watch or just want to watch the recording or submit questions to Annex, you can do so simply by visiting the features page at WTMJ.com. All right. 
Well, one of the big stories that broke at the end of last week was the fact that the Major League Baseball had decided to pull the All-Star game from Atlanta, where it was scheduled, because of their reaction to Georgia passing a, a, a new voting law. And the, the way this has been presented, starting with Joe Biden and going through a lot of the mainstream media, you would think that this is a return to, I don't know, uh, the, the poll taxes and literacy tests and things like that that you found in some southern states in the 1940s and the 1950s. And one of the things that's so frustrating to me, and I'm a guy who really believes that the, the, the access to voting the, the more you provide access to voting, the, the better it is, which isn't to say that there aren't some reasonable restrictions that you can apply um, on, on voting. Because, again, I, I remember when, when I first started voting, you, you had absentee voting. You didn't have, like, early in-person voting, and most people showed up on, on Election Day. And we, we seemed to be able to get through fine. So here's this Georgia law. That was passed. And I want to go through a couple elements of it. And then I guess my question is going to be, what is the real problem? Or is this just hysteria that's being cooked up by some of the forces on the left who are trying to, again, find a political wedge issue? Okay, so first of all, let's look at what the Georgia law doesn't do. It leaves in place no excuse absentee voting. In Georgia and in Wisconsin, for example, years ago, You couldn't just vote early or vote absentee. You had to have a reason for it, and you had to state that reason. Gee, I'm going to be out of town or whatever. Now, in Wisconsin and in Georgia, you don't have to. You can simply say, I choose not to vote on Election Day. So that still remains in place. And by the way, there's a lot of states, more than a dozen, including Connecticut and, wait for it, Delaware, where Joe Biden is from, which don't allow for no excuse voting. If you're no excuse absentee voting, if you're going to vote early or vote absentee in Delaware and Connecticut, you have to give a reason. Okay, Georgia doesn't do that. All right, Georgia's new law also leaves in place Sunday voting. Now, this has been an issue because a lot of the particularly black churches have had a a process that they call souls to the polls, a tradition after services where people go to the services and then they're encouraged or they're driven to the polls to vote, etc. And a number of Republicans were saying, hey, we think this is fundamentally unfair. The law did not change that. So the, the whole Sunday voting stays. In addition, what the legislature did is it decided to expand weekend early voting statewide by requiring two Saturdays instead of only one under current law. So in total, Georgia offers three weeks of early voting, three weeks of early voting. Last last election, early voting in Georgia began on October 12th. That would be the same under this new law. For example, New York, their early voting didn't start till. October 24th. So in in Georgia, the early voting, you can vote early 12 days before you can start early voting in New York. Okay, so that, that, oh, how terrible. We're, we're, We're limiting voters. Okay, so what does the Georgia law do? Well, one of the things it does is it gets rid of signature matching. So what that means with signature matching is you've got election workers who get, get the ballot that's sent in, right? Then what they have to do is they have to try to match the signature 
that is on the ballot with the signature of the person who applied for the absentee ballot. So they're, they're okay, is this the same or not? All right, that's a mess because, it, again, it leaves stuff open to interpretation. So what Georgia has done is they said, okay, here, here's the deal. Instead of signature matching, having clerks try to guess whether this is the same signature or not, what we're going to do is, is voters are going to get a state ID number with their mail ballots or applications. No arguing over handwriting. The ID number either matches or it doesn't. Georgians who vote in person are asked to show identification. Anyone who lacks an ID can get one for free. So the idea is, if if I want to vote early, my state ID number, when I request the absentee ballot, they say, okay, Wagner, you are number 224. All right, so that's it. I have to put 224 on the ballot. If I send it back in, it, it passes. They don't have to guess whether, gee, did the way I signed my name on the application form, did that match the, the way I signed it on the ballot? Again, this is the subject of, of outrage. I mean, give me a break. One of the things that people are arguing about is they say, well, the, the law prevents third parties from giving gifts to people um, standing in line at the polls, including food and drink. What, what they are concerned about is that you will have activist groups, and this doesn't matter whether it's union workers or whether it's people from the NRA showing up and passing out snacks and drinks to the people who stand in line. So they, they say you can't do that. Now, that doesn't mean if you want to bring a bottle of water and a box of, of pretzels or, or whatever or cookies or whatever and while you're standing in line, you, you, you can drink the water, you can eat the cookies. It's just that you can't have third-party people going up and down, third parties being like outside parties wearing union shirts or NRA shirts or whatever, going up and down and offering people food and drink. I, 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 okay, you can argue, I guess, the merits of this. Is this a good thing or, or a bad thing? But it doesn't strike me that this is something that, oh, my gosh, this is just absolutely terrible, and this is going to lead to Jim Crow laws and suppression of votes. I mean, again, if you if you can't go stand in line without, you know, having a sip of water, okay, bring bring the water yourself. That, that That's that's easy. Um, the other thing that it does is that these ballot drop boxes, which are very, very controversial in Wisconsin. You know, the ones where just kind of like you could go to Blockbuster Video and drop off the video. They're, they're not manned. There's nobody there. The law makes ballot drop, drop boxes permanent. Um, they, they, they were authorized last year temporarily because of COVID, but now it, it makes them permanent. Now, you, you could go on and you could go on, but the, the bottom line of all this is, while no rules are perfect, for example, the, the new law shrinks the window of absentee voting. Um, the way it is right now, you can request an absentee ballot six months before the election day. Six months. Um, the new law says you, you can only request a ballot 78 days out. Okay, so it, it's, it's two and a half months. Now, is that really something that's going to, in the real world, suppress voting because you've got to wait till two and a half months before the election to request an absentee ballot? And, and there, there's there's a couple other things as well. But 
I, I go through these different points, and, and the way this has been presented, and the way the president presented it, and the way the mainstream media has presented it, and the way that Major League Baseball, and the way that Delta Airlines, and the way that Coca-Cola has jumped on this, you would seriously think that what they did in Georgia was significant efforts to rein in or prevent people, particularly people of color, from voting. And the truth is, while you can argue the merits of any one of these particular provisions, okay, should they have more drive? boxes should you be able to request an absentee ballot six months ahead of time or only three months it's not like any of this stuff is is going to significantly suppress voting okay our number 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line is is this really much ado about nothing i mean at the end of the day to use that cliche is there really is there really stuff to be that upset about? Is it unreasonable to say, you know, people in union shirts or NRA shirts shouldn't be able to walk up and down the lines at the polls and give out free snacks? I mean, is that really that unreasonable? Is it unreasonable for people to say, hey, instead of the clerks trying to figure out whether somebody forged a signature or not, we're going to make it easy. Everybody that requests the ballot gets a number. you got to use that number. Is it really that unreasonable to say, gosh, instead of having six months to request an absentee ballot, you get three months? I mean, you go through this one after another, and you sit and you say, what? What, what is really the big deal about this? Is this really a contrived controversy? And the more you look at the rules and the more you recognize that in many respects, Georgia's laws remain much more small L liberal with regard to voting rights than, I don't know, the rules of a lot of other states, including Delaware, where President Biden came from. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, I admit, this is stuff that makes my head explode. One of our texters says, well, talk to their, what about their no water law? Talk to that, please. Which I I just did for the last four or five minutes. Here's the deal. In Georgia, the new law, it doesn't say you can't have water while you're waiting in line. It doesn't say you can't have soda. It doesn't say you can't have food. All it says is that you can't have outside groups that go and approach the voters while they are voting in line and give them free stuff. Give them water. Give them soda. Give them food. That's all it says. And and the idea is obviously to prevent undue influence. The idea that, hey, we're going to have a, a bunch of people in again, uh, NRA shirts, if you want me to use that example, or union shirts or whatever, rolling up and giving out free food to people while they're waiting in line. It it says, no, because we think that this has the possibility of unduly influencing people. It doesn't say people can't have water in line while you're waiting or soda or food. You just have to bring it yourself. It doesn't say election officials can't put up water coolers if they want to do it. It just says that third parties can't go up to people while they are in line waiting to vote and give them free stuff. Okay, I I guess you can argue the merits of that. Does it make sense or not? But is this Jim Crow? Give me a break. I mean, seriously, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Joe on the south side. Joe, good afternoon. Uh, Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. You know, I agree with you. After looking over some of this uh, bill and all that, that it's not going to deprive you from really voting. But my big problem with the whole thing is their timing was terrible on these things. That that state was through so many different courts or whatever with the Trump administration goofing everything up, yep. this and that. That's the problem. The problem is the timing is bad. 
like we've had in this state here <laughs> quite a few times in the last 10, 15 years. But anyways, the timing was bad. So what do you think these people, and then you got, uh, you know, the governor doesn't talk to anybody else, but a couple of, you know, they're looking at these guys signing the bill. They're all white guys, right? Come on. You know, it, timing's bad and it looks bad. That's, well, my, that's my point. Well, they, well I guess, I, I guess you know, you can always make arguments about what, what are the optics. And, and that's why... I wanted to spend some time here just kind of going through what is in the, this law because if you just if you just look at the the merits of the law and you break this down and again I, I don't think I don't think reasonable people hey you get a voter number instead of like court people having to try to decide to, to match signatures okay to me that makes a, a lot of sense it's going to make it a lot easier for people to be able to verify ballots and it's going to result in a lot fewer contested ballots where people try to argue okay is this really Jeff Wagner's signature or not okay not being able to give free soda to people that are standing in lines <laughs> all right that 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 is hardly gee bull Connor you know suppressing you know voters and, and it goes Goes on and on. Gee, you can only request an absentee ballot two and a half months before the election instead of six months. This is not Jim Crow. But unfortunately, you have President Biden and you have other people who seized on this issue. Now, I think one of the things that the Republicans were doing is they were responding to a lot of the stuff that happened in the election, trying to set up just standards moving forward. And that's how I feel about Wisconsin, for example. And we're going to have to have this this battle at some point in time, and the courts are going to have to rule. Look, I don't know about whether the drop boxes or things like the democracy in the park are legal or not. Nobody does know for sure, because you can make arguments on both sides. But unless there's meaningful election reform, the courts are going to have to decide what the law means. And we're not going to get meaningful election reform because you've got Tony Evers who won't vote for anything the Republicans want and the Republicans who are going to want to clarify aspects of the law. So the court is going to have to decide it. But my only point here is, again, if you look at these rules, I mean, Major League Baseball is pulling the all-star game because we're, we're, we're saying you you. You can't wear an NRA shirt, walk up and down, and give people free stuff while they're waiting in line to vote. I mean, seriously, is this this incredible outrage that's there? And my answer would be no. Let's talk to Jesse in West Bend. Jesse, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I just just got a comment. Uh, I'm just wondering if the Republicans would have retained their seats, if they would be going right away, let's change the voting, you know, because it doesn't seem like it was right or we want to put rules and all that. I'm just, just a comment. No, well, again, I, think, I mean, I understand it's what the previous caller said about the, the optics. Oh, okay, oh, should, should they have waited six months? Would, would that timing have been different? To me, the, the more fundamental question is, do, do the changes make sense? Or, or more importantly, are these changes that are, are really, as a practical matter, are they going to suppress votes? And I guess when I look at some of this stuff and I say, hey, the, the rule, for example, you compare the rules in Georgia, even under the new law, you compare them to rules in New York or Connecticut or Delaware, and they are much more L, small L liberal with regard to allowing people to vote early, allowing people to file absentee ballots without having to state a request. You, you look at a lot of this stuff, and it's more liberal than a, a number of the, the big blue states on the East Coast. And yet you've got Major League Baseball that's decided we're going to pull this. You've got Delta and uh, Coca-Cola, which are big Georgia companies, that are just de- denouncing the state. To me, this is the ultimate example of this knee-jerk reaction. And 
it really, you want to talk about divisiveness. Now, some people would say, well, the Republicans were being divisive because they passed these laws. Okay, I think the contrary, the other argument is you've got people like Joe Biden that are spreading the divisiveness by trying to make these rules out to be much more than they really are. And again, you can look at any one of these individually and say, okay, should should you make this change or not? Should you um, allow allow voting for three Saturdays instead of two. You know, how, what should be the period? But when I look at Georgia and I say the early voting, you can do it for 12 days before you can do it in New York. Explain to me how this is is Jim Crow. You can argue, all right, as a matter of policy, maybe it, it should be a little bit less restrictive. But Jim Crow, we're here to die, you know, people of color, the opportunity to vote. It's just not that, period. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eric Bilstead, you were on vacation for a week. I was on vacation for a week. Mm -hmm. You know what one of the things I kind of forget about when I'm away for this job for a couple days? Yeah, what's that? That that quickly comes back to me, like in the first hour of the show, is just... How nasty some people can be. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, it, it's just, what, what, what I just don't understand about this is if there's stuff I, I don't like or makes me angry, I just, I just, I, I, I don't do, I don't watch it. Sure, if there's a TV right. show that gets me upset, I, I don't watch it. If there's, you know, a, a newspaper, I just don't watch it. I, I, I look at some of these texts that we get, you know, and we're talking about these different issues, and they're just flat out nasty. These people are like nuts. I mean, yeah, that, it happens that, sometimes. I've seen those. Oh, yeah. Well, you just look, I, I tell you, and I, you kind of forget about that. You forget, boy, <laughs> that there's people who just get just this incredibly, I hate this. I hate it. When are they going to fire you? And, you know, they haven't for 20 some years, so I don't know. But but it's just like wow, you, this gets you so worked up and stuff. Well, but I guess it's better that if you're going to be worked up at the guy with the voice on the radio as opposed to like going home and beating right, your wife yeah, or your, yeah, your kids. So true. if 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 that eventing like that makes you happy. That's what I'm here for. You are the stress ball. For I, I, right, I, right. I, I am the, exactly right. I am the. That's it. I am the giant stress ball. Right. The 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 evil Mister Rogers who sounds so reasonable and nice, and then you find yourself agreeing with him. Oh my God, we've been sucked into this, and now mm. we we just we just hate you. Oh, oh well. <laughs> just we we will keep going in that in that tone. Mm. All right. So here here is the here is the deal. We were talking in the last segment of the program about the, this Georgia voting law, which has been just in my opinion, completely and totally miscast as this voter suppression bill and Jim Crow too, and and it's all part of the, the Democrat strategy, which has been embraced, of course, by their their mainstream media partners. And if you really look at what the law does, it's it's not. It is not an unreasonable sort of law. You can argue, hey, should it make any difference if if the um, if the NRA or the unions want to walk up and down the line and give people free stuff? Should they be allowed to do it? Okay, now maybe you can make an argument, yes. I, I think that you can also make an argument, no, that's just, that sounds kind of like voter trying to buy votes and stuff like that. But, you know, reasonable people can disagree. But it, it's not, it's not Jim Crow. It's not voter suppression. Can you argue, well, gee, maybe people should be able to vote. Maybe you should be able to request an absentee ballot six months ahead of time as opposed to three months. But, but three months or six months, can you really make a strong argument that you know only having two and a half months to request an absentee ballot is voter suppression before the election? And 
but but of course we we don't talk about these things. And what happened, of course, then last week is you had uh, President Biden, who never wanting to miss a, a good opportunity to jump on to uh, an issue and wade into you know public life and culture. He said, well, he'd strongly support the idea of Major League Baseball pulling the All Star Game from Atlanta because. Well, we, we have to start to, you know, arrange for a boycott. We should be boycotting Georgia because of these different rules. And then, you know, two days later, the Major League Baseball, the league, decides to wade in and says, well, okay, they said, okay, well, President Biden, you want us to do it. You know, we're, we're going to do it. And so despite the fact that the Georgia laws are still, like I say, more liberal than a number of voting laws in states like uh, New York, Connecticut and Delaware. So now what's happened is we Major League Baseball has decided to wade into this and they've bought into the tropes and they've decided, okay, we're going to pull the, the games. We're we're not going to allow the All Star game to go on in, in Atlanta. Now I, I for one, I'm a baseball fan. I, I admit it. I'm a Brewers fan in particular, but I'm a baseball fan in general. I I don't care where they play the All Star game. You know, it doesn't doesn't make it's not on my radar screen. It doesn't make any difference to me whether they have it in Atlanta or San Diego or Los Angeles. Would it be nice to have it in Milwaukee? Yeah, I think there would be a great shot in the arm, especially after Milwaukee lost out on having the Democratic National Convention last summer. I, I think it would be a great shot in the arm, bring some money, help get the tourist industry back. I, so would I like to see it in Milwaukee? Absolutely. But but the idea of pulling it in from Georgia simply because, well, we've now decided that we're going to buy into this, oh, this is just segregation, and this is another, this is another effort at Jim Crow, and we're trying to suppress the vote. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, seriously, where where does this end? Is there a logical ending point of it? Is the fact that if, if you have certain politicians that decide we're going to jump on this bandwagon and we're going to press this narrative that the mainstream media then, you know, a- adopts, well, we're going to just kind of force all the these corporations, we're going to force all these businesses to kowtow to w- w- whatever the particular issue of the day is. I mean, at what point does it stop? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, I lost a lot of respect for the people that run Major League Baseball, and this isn't an indictment of like local teams or anything, but this idea that we're going to just cave into this and we're going to pull it two days after Joe Biden demands we pull it because, well, well, gosh, CNN might mock us if we don't, and we want to adopt the course of least resistance. Well, at some point in time, you wonder, you know, is this is this now the trend that you're going to see anytime somebody, particularly in the left, doesn't like something that a legislature does, we're going to move it. And, and where do you move it? How can you move it to New York, which is a, like I say, New York is a, is a blue state, but New York has more restrictions voting laws than Georgia does. So does this mean we should pull all the stuff out of New York? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm, I was shaking my head at this particular decision. Again, I don't care where they play the All-Star game, but the idea that Major League Baseball capitulated, completely and totally capitulated, without any 
any sort of blowback at all, simply giving in to the forces of political correctness, I, I think is is disappointing. And candidly, I lost a lot of respect for Major League Baseball. And I don't know where this ends. 855-616-1620. I'm afraid there is no end point for it when you have Major League Baseball, for example, that just gives in this quickly. All this does is embolden the forces of political correctness to say, okay, well, we, we've, we've made Major League Baseball capitulate here. And by the way, last time I checked, Major League Baseball just signed a big deal with China. And you want to talk about something that really is anti-democratic, small d democratic, you know, it's do business with China. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Donna in Chicago. Hi, Donna. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, what do you think? Major League Baseball decides we can't have the All-Star Game in Atlanta. I I find it extremely disappointing. Uh, uh, They jumped on that pretty quickly. Um, I'm not sure where their heads were. Uh, They clearly did not understand what the law really was and kind of went with uh, what the mainstream media and the president was saying. Um, What my two points are, it's it's hurting everybody. It's hurting uh, the all the small businesses, all the people that have been counting on that all star game, uh, historic all star game in Atlanta. And I find that extremely disappointing. It's doing nothing but hurt their economy and the folks that live there. In the entire state of Georgia, it's very decisive uh, in the in entire country, as a matter of fact. It's like they're pitting people against each other. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I've noticed is they're moving MLB, and everybody's talking about that. But right now we have the Masters that's starting in Augusta, yep. <laughs> Georgia, and yep. nobody said boo about that. Yeah, it, right, because the, you, you knew that the Masters would not give in. Donna, let me go back to the first point you made, which is just so outstanding. What what is let, let's think about what is the purpose of this? Okay, so Major League Baseball pulls the game from Atlanta. Georgia's the, the, the Georgia governor and the Georgia legislature they're not going to change these rules. Okay, so the rules are going to stay in place. So what has Major League Baseball done? It's hurt the people in Atlanta. And my guess is they've hurt a lot of the people who would be vendors, a lot of the the really the the quote unquote little people, you know, the, the small businesses, the people that were really looking for a cash financial bump. All Major League Baseball has done with this virtue signaling is they've hurt the people who now are going to lose out on all the income that they wanted. Uh, you hit it right on the head. It's been bothering me, you know. It's been stuck in my craw because. Last year was horrific, and everybody, you know, small businesses, it was devastating. So they're looking forward to this, and it's all the little people it's, it's, that are losing out big time. And it's, it's just it's so disappointing, um, and uh, I'm just – I find it quite shameful, and I, and I don't understand. And, and nobody will ever ask the right questions, right. and that's what's even more dis- – yeah. and, and this is just yeah. – Right. It's the, t- the top of the scale. It's going to continue to hit everywhere, uh, but um, no, you're I'm right. Heartbroken. No, thanks I'm for calling. Not- well, no, I'm sorry. Didn't mean- you're right. You're right. Wouldn't it be interesting to say to somebody say to Ron Manfred, who's the head of Major League Baseball, succeeded by Selig, explain to me exactly. Let, let's go through these different provisions and explain to me what 
provision that you're looking at that you think is so terrible? And then, by the way, you, you live in, I think Manfred lives in New York. All right, well, how, explain to me how this Georgia provision is worse than the provision in the state that you live in. And I don't hear you talking about, you know, not uh, bringing the all-star game to Yankee Stadium or to, you know, the, the where the Mets play or wherever. It's just, but, but nobody, to your point, Donna, asks those questions. You are exactly right. And on top of that, again, what, what is the effect of this? Who, who does this hurt? Well, does it hurt the Atlanta Braves? Now, the Atlanta Braves are going to be fine. All right. It, it doesn't, doesn't hurt the Atlanta Braves. It hurts the people of Atlanta, particularly again in this post COVID as we're coming out of COVID, the, the bars, the restaurants who would have had people coming to their town to, to patronize that, that town. You, so you, you've done this. It's virtue signaling. You can feel good about yourself. Well, the president's told us to do this. And so we, we caved in to the president. Isn't that great? Jeff, I used to watch sports to get away from politics. Now the sports Sports are showing their, shoving their politics down my throat. I, I've just had it. When I think a lot of people feel that way. Now, I, I'm not one. I like baseball. I mean, baseball baseball and football, I like basketball, too. I mean, so I, 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 I understand there's the political element to it. I, I just try to dial that out and, uh, you know, listen to the Brewers games and, and root the Brewers on. But it's getting tougher and tougher to, you know, end up doing this. Um, Jeff, I was on the fence about watching baseball this year. The other day I heard about the All-Star game. I told my wife I would not be watching baseball at all this year after Major League Baseball bringing politics in it. Um, yeah, I mean, there is that idea. Jeff, uh, zero leadership in Major League Baseball. As Colin Powell said, leadership means sometimes you have to upset people to get them to do the to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, it, this is the easier course of action. There, there's no question. You know, Major League Baseball gets to pat itself on the back and say, look, look how woke we are. And, you know, we're, we're in line with President Biden and isn't all this terrible without having to explain what's really so bad about what ended up happening and having to justify their actions. But you get this knee-jerk reaction okay they now feel better about themselves well all right when they you know, when they pick another city to relocate the all-star game to all right let, let's see what that is let's look at their voting laws and let's look and see whether they're more restrictive than georgia i don't know where they're going to end up pretty soon i just i say this it's what happens when you allow politics to bleed over into the world of sports. And this isn't saying to athletes, shut up and dribble. That's not it. Athletes are entitled to have their positions. But when Major League Baseball decides that it's fundamentally going to align itself with certain issues, they have to understand that there's going to be certain consequences. At the very least, they should be able to explain in detail and justify their decisions other than, well, Biden called it Jim Crow too. And of course, we don't want to be associated with anything like that. So boom, we're pulling it from Atlanta. What happens if the Atlanta Braves make the World Series? This year, will, will we have the World Series in Atlanta or will Major League Baseball say, no, you can't have that? Where do you draw the line? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And by the way, the, the hypocrisy of of people like the president on this issue and Major League Baseball is, is absolutely stunning. So Major League, so the president says, okay, we, we, I would support, I think they should pull the All-Star game from Atlanta because of these voting restrictions, even though in many cases they're nowhere near as restrictive as his home state of Delaware. But then you've got the, the whole deal. What, what, what about, and the Wall Street Journal makes this point, oh, okay, you know, the, the president and Major League Baseball, for example, they're, they're, they're here because we want to, we want to stand up to, you know, 
voting laws. We want to have, have more avenues of voting. Well, okay, uh, Mr. President, what about what about the Beijing Olympics that are coming up? See, you know, you, you don't have to worry, for example, in China, you don't have to worry about whether, you know, you can have like NRA activists or union activists give people like free stuff as they're standing in line to vote. You don't have to worry about that in China because there are no polling places. You don't have to worry about absentee ballot controversies because there there are no no ballots. <laughs> There, there, there's none of this stuff that that goes on. Um, you know, gee, you know, you know, Mr. Biden, what? Why are we going to send the Olympics team to to Beijing? I mean, isn't that going to support like the re-education camps? And, and by the way, Rob Manfred, who is the president of Major League Baseball, all right, you're, you're upset about Georgia because of the different restrictions that they have put in place or not put in place. Even though, like I say, New York, where you, I believe you live, has more restrictions than Georgia does. All right. Well, here's my question to you. How about this deal that you just cut? I'm looking at this story. You know, Major League Baseball signed this huge deal um, starting in 2018 with a a Chinese-owned company called Tencent to stream games into China, which has cracked down on pro-democracy protests. So you cave into pressure. You decide, all right, we're, we're not going to have the all-star game in Atlanta. But, oh, oh, by the way, because China has, oh, and, and we're going to, as our caller was talking about, we're going to, like, hurt all the small businesses and the, quote, unquote, you know, individuals who are trying to come back from the economic devastation caused by the pandemic. We're going we're to hurt all them. But yet we're going to, um, again, do business with, with, with communist China because, well, you know, they're writing big checks and paying us a whole bunch of money. Again, the hypocrisy on this whole issue is just absolutely staggering. And this is the next question. If Biden was so upset about Georgia's voting laws, all right, why isn't he calling for changes in New York? Why isn't he calling for changes specifically to the state laws in Delaware, where he's from? But also, what about the pressure? Are we going to next see, hey, Major League Baseball, you know, if you're going to now stand up and you're going to start talking about how woke you are and things like that? All right, what about what's going on in China? How can you take all this money from um, a country that doesn't even allow voting for all intents and purposes? Just asking. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. They call it a money bomb. It is wrong, regardless of who does this. Okay, the front page headline in the New York Times yesterday, and it caught my attention because we've talked about before with the New York Times that they they sold papers based on their hatred of Donald Trump. And people recognized that they were going to be a paper that wrote everything bad they could find about Donald Trump, and it gravitated. And now that Trump is gone, what they find is that people aren't coming back to them as much. So there's this effort to let's try to let's try to figure out whatever we can do and we'll put Trump's name in the headline and maybe that can get us more clicks. All right. Well, that doesn't always mean that it's wrong to do that. It doesn't always mean that there's not a story. And this is one that caught my attention and just I don't I don't know. Maybe it's the the recovering lawyer in me, maybe it's my fundamental sense of fairness. But if this is what happened and it appears it did during the campaign, it, it's wrong. It is contemptible and any politician or campaign that does it deserves all the criticism it gets. So what is a money bomb? Well, uh, all right. Uh, many times and if you have given to candidates 
thank you for participating in the process, regardless of whether it's a liberal or a conservative candidate. That, that's great. The, the candidates depend on campaign contributions. Typically, it used to be you'd get the, the solicitations in the mail. Well, you, you still might get some mail and request, but a lot of the stuff now is done online. You know, you, you get the, the email, you get the text saying, hey, the election's coming up, give money. And if you get, in some respects, the email or whatever, there'll be it. There'll be a form. You know, you'll get the the big thing that'll show up in your email box, and you'll look at it and say, okay, we we need money right away. And, and here, won't you help and and give us money? Okay, well here's here's the way the New York Times describes it: how Trump steered supporters into unwitting donations. Online donors were guided into weekly recurring contributions. Demands for refunds spiked, etc. So here's the deal. They talk about, hey, the guy who was 63 years old, first guy's name is Stacy Blatt, 63-year-old, battling Kansas, battling cancer, living in Kansas City on less than $1,000 a month. He gets a solicitation saying, contribute to the president's campaign. So he, he does. He said he, he made a $500 contribution, and he allowed the money to be withdrawn from his bank. He thought, I'm giving him 500 bucks, which is a lot of money for me. Well, then, as it turns out, another 500 was withdrawn the next day, 500 the next week, and every week through mid-October without his knowledge until the guy's bank account had been depleted and frozen. When his utility and rent payments bounced, he called his brother for help. What they found was $3,000 in withdrawals by the Trump campaign in less than 30 days. They called their bank and said they thought they were victims of fraud. What they found instead had happened is they had failed to wade through a fine print disclaimer and manually uncheck a box to opt out. So here's the deal. Like they get the email. And, you know, there, there's all this different verbiage. And what they intend to do is they intended to give 500 bucks. But there was a box on the, this form that they had that they sent back, and the box was automatically checked, allowing, in this case, the Trump campaign to continue to make withdrawals. One of the boxes that they had uh, doubled doubled the donation. So if you put $500, the box said, I also authorize this to be doubled. Another box said, I authorize every week similar donations to be taken. And these boxes are automatically, they're, they're pre-checked. Now, if you read through all this stuff, well, okay, you, you, you can always uncheck it. But a lot of people didn't do that. They didn't realize it. And as the campaign went on, at least according to the New York Times, what happened is that the language and those boxes, they, they got covered up. It became more and more opaque. There'd be like big red lettering over it talking about how, you know, the country's going to you-know-where in a handbasket and how important this is. And you had a lot of unsophisticated donors who thought they were making a single donation, and they ended up, again, giving the political campaign, in this case it was the Trump campaign and this company they were using called WinRed, the ability to go into their checking accounts or their uh, or their hit their credit cards, you know, on multiple occasions. What they found out happened is when a lot of people found this out, what they did is they started filing complaints and the campaigns had to refund money. But part of the effect was it, it artificially inflated the amount of donations because Maybe they've hit somebody's account for $6,000. The person complains and they've got to give back 5500 but that only comes out later. But the bigger thing is that the stress that it's causing on people. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the Trump campaign is not 
the only political campaign that has done this, but it appears that they raise this to an art form. This is the kind of stuff that happens sometimes when you get the solicitations for like like magazine subscriptions or 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 things like that 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 kind of steer you into unwanted purchases. You know, you you don't read the fine print. You don't go down to the last page and you don't uncheck the pre-checked box and and it causes you problems. But this is this is like the first time this has happened on a wide scale when it comes to political contributions. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It would seem to me if stuff like this isn't illegal when it comes to campaign financing and raising money, it, it should be. You know, an, an automatic box, if, if it, it's one thing if you opt in. It's one thing to have a box that you check that say, hey, you know, I, I feel so strongly in my candidate that I'm giving you $500 and I'm going to authorize you to hit my checking account or hit my um, credit card statement for $500 every week. And here, I'm going to actively check that box. Okay, that's one thing. But that's not what this was. The boxes were all pre-checked. And unless you read the small print, you, you didn't know that you were giving money. And I don't care whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Tammy Baldwin or Ron Johnson or whoever. It's wrong. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if it's not technically illegal, it seems to me it should be. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, several people are texting me saying, no, that the, the, these people that thought they were making one donation to the Trump campaign and didn't realize that there were all these other boxes that were checked, even though the boxes were kind of covered up by, like, red, giant red letters and stuff, it, it's their fault because they, they have to read the fine print. I No, I, I guess I, I disagree with that because... That's like saying, gee, um, the people that get that that phone, you get that that phone call saying, you know, we're from the IRS or we're from the Social Security Administration and you've got to call this number because it's been compromised and then we want your credit card numbers. It's like saying to them, it's like saying to them, okay, it's, it's your fault because you should have been smart enough to realize that, that, that this was a was a scam. Y- yes. Believe me, you should read the fine print. I, I get that. But a lot of the people that were targeted that made these donations, it's it's the sixty three year old, you know, person battling cancer who's, you know, really politically active and, and wants to make a statement and wants to contribute, but has no idea that instead of giving five hundred dollars, they're gonna end up giving thousands of dollars. And yeah, I I mean I, I say shame on any campaign for doing that. And I guess this this idea what really struck me, the bigger picture is from a campaign finance and a legal perspective, these automatic, you know, it's one thing if you want to opt in. If you want to check that box and say consciously, okay, I want to give $500 a week. All right, that's one thing to opt in. But to have these boxes stuck in the small print and then solicit money from these donors, I don't care whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, like I said before, I just think it's wrong. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Mike and McGuanago, and Mosquito. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, great topic. You know what? It's, um, it's really snaky. And um, actually, I helped my dad. He's computer illiterate. I helped him do a little donation to the Trump campaign. And quite frankly, I'm going to have to give him a call to make sure he didn't get charged more than once. Well, um, yeah. You know, it it, it kind of reminds me of those um, 
Here's a 90-day trial. You just got to pay shipping and handling. Right. Um, here's a free trial, but make sure you cancel the at the end of the subscription or the trial. They're going to keep billing it out, ship it to you. So you got to make sure you you cancel right. it. They at least tell you this is fraud. I mean, this is horrible. Well, this is and this is a tactic that that's commonly used, like in magazine subscriptions or like the old record club deals or stuff. You know, where the boxes are checked and, and people don't read the small, the fine print, and next thing they know, they find that they're committed to buying you know twelve records at exorbitant sort of prices over the last year or something. And and, and it's a tactic again that's, that's used in selling subscriptions and stuff, but it really hasn't been used before in political contributions and if. If, look, if, if you want to give $6,000 to you know a political candidate, go ahead and do it. If you want to make recurring contributions, that's fine. But I think it should be really clear that you are doing that, not be, just you just didn't read the fine print when you gave somebody access to your credit card. That's what's wrong to me. Absolutely. It's even like paperless billing, you know, with your uh, cable company. They might raise your rates. you got to take a look at that. But that, you at least, they, they, they have you authorize it. Don't send me a bill. Just hit my card and send me a receipt. You know, it's, it's yeah, you got right. to get authorization on that. They can't hide it. They shouldn't hide it from you. Right. No, th- thanks for calling. No, that's, that's, and that's, that's what this. That's what this was. I think it's it's very clear. And and again, I'm I'm not a fan of the New York Times. I think they've got an incredible political bias. Um, the reporters just loathe Donald Trump. I don't think there's any question about it. And they use that as part of their marketing strategy. They write anti-Trump articles to get clicks. And now them, like CNN and like some of these other places, starting to struggle now that they don't have Trump to kick around anymore. But just because. Well, like it's, I always say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. Just because, you know, people have an agenda don't, doesn't mean that what you did wasn't wrong. And taking money from people's bank accounts, taking money from people's, you know, charging their credit cards with, without them knowing clearly what they were getting into, I, I think is, is wrong. Um, Gianni and Montello, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, hello, Jeff, oh, oh, and uh, welcome back. Oh, great weather we're having. Hey, listen, uh, the way you, you've described it, characterized it, is, it, it to, to a layperson like myself, it, it almost seems like uh, mail fraud or, or fraud in, in general, which is, is a crime, is it not? And uh, my, my question to you would be, as a former prosecutor, why uh, isn't the uh, Justice Department going after Companies and, and Trump isn't the only one that is involved with this. You 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 hear with the telemarketers and so right. forth. Why aren't they being prosecuted? I mean, is, the resources must be there. I mean, the government spends like hell wouldn't have it. So why aren't they going after these people? And there must be consequences. Well, I mean, Jan, I mean, technically, you say it's fraud. That that's. I don't know that I. I don't know that it's fraud, and it, but fraud in the, the criminal sense. Do I think in the general sense that stuff like this is fraud? I. I Yes, but is it because I mean? But here's the deal. I mean, this is this is what I say if I'm the if I'm the subscription people. I say, wait a second, right? I I, I sent this solicitation out. It's clearly stated in the verbiage. Now it might be mixed in the small print. I've got this little box that's checked on page three, and, and yes, 
like some of people are texting me saying, okay, it's people's fault for not reading through it. So it's not fraud. It was there. It's your fault that you didn't read it. Now, that that's the legal sense of it and the legal defense. To me, it's a, it's a larger issue of this. Jeff, I donated $400 to each of the Georgia Senate candidates online through my checking account. I didn't read closely. My account got hit weekly until I found the automatic hits. I went back to the website, and there was functionality to get the errant contributions back. It worked, and I had the money back in a few days. Well, well yeah, but that's because you, you, know, you ended up catching it. What happens is a lot of people, number one, don't catch it, or they catch it too late, or, um, and this is like one of the subtexts of the New York Times article, um, at, at the time this was happening, President Trump was lagging in fundraising compared to Joe Biden, and one of their arguments is that this, even if he had to refund a bunch of this money, it made it look artificially like he had collected more than, than he really had from the person who intends to give $500 but ends up you know giving 6000 even if you give 5500 back it, it at least at first it makes it look like you got you know 6000 Dollars, um, Jeff, seems like a recurring payment is a great way to lose your supporters. You've got someone willing to donate $500 to support your campaign, and then you take them a ride for, thou- for a ride for thousands of dollars and then still expect them to be a supporter. I'd be upset if this happened to me. Well, yeah, and I'd, I'd be upset if it happened to me as well. Jeff, uh, people laugh at me with my checkbook. I've seen way too many emails looking for donations with the same pre-filled boxes. If you want my donation, you'll take my check. I don't trust any of the online donations. It's an easy way for people to be taken advantage of these days. Um, well, yes. Um, Jeff, you're right on. I order a knife with President Trump as a collector item. When I received it, it was made in China. Go figure. Then the company tried to send me you know, more knives. Well, again, this is it's one of the things that turns people off to the political process and again maybe if there's a larger point beyond this and i understand whenever we talk about something that's either friendly to or critical of president trump people can't get past that but maybe if, if you take nothing away from this segment it is how careful you have to be nowadays with the different solicitations you get and, I mean, just, just take a minute and read through it before you just hit that donate button to make sure that there's not some pre-checked box there because you could find yourself intending to donate 25 bucks, and next thing you know, hey, you find out your bank account's frozen because you've been – or you tend to donate 250 bucks, and your bank account's frozen because that $250 has quickly turned into 2500 through no – intention of your own and yes is it your fault that you didn't read all the small print yeah but let's face it the person that was soliciting you was going to try to take advantage of of your naivete or your failure to read all the way through or else if it wasn't the case what they would have done is they would have had that box but it wouldn't have been checked it would have been hey if you want to continue to make contributions every week check this box opting in instead of having to opt out. So, I mean, donor beware, buyer beware. I'm back with more in just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Coming up in the next hour of the program, get ready to roll those bones in Beloit. We will discuss the new casino on its way there. In addition, 60 Minutes. Well, 60 Minutes has done it again. I'll explain what happened, and we will discuss. A number of people are asking me about the election tomorrow. The one the one election that everyone 
um, in the state will vote on is the state superintendent of schools race. Um, I had one of the candidates, Deborah Kerr, she has to come on. I had her on the week before I left. Um, it's Deborah Kerr and Jill Utterly. The, the big difference is... Um, Deborah Kerr, and you're hearing some ads for her on our, our station. But the big difference, but the biggest difference, I would say, between the two is she is an outspoken advocate of school choice, while Jill Utterly is not. Jill Utterly is endorsed by the teachers union and has gotten a lot of money from very, from liberal groups across Wisconsin. Outspent Deb Kerr big time. Typically, the, the teachers union gets whoever they want in these races. That's been, I think that's been the experience over the last 20 years. So Deborah Kerr is definitely the outsider. But the big issue here, if you're looking for one big distinction, in my opinion, it's cut through all the other stuff. It's school choice. Jill Utterly, I think, is a, a, an opponent of school choice. Uh, Deb Kerr is in favor of school choice. Interestingly, um, Jill Utterly sent her kids to private schools, you know, when, when she was working for the State Department of Instruction. But if you want to know the big difference between the two, it is school choice. And uh, Deb Kerr is the school choice proponent. All right. When we come back, Casino in Beloit, 60 Minutes, and a lot more. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstad, I know you got back from vacation on Saturday, as I as did I. I watched that ball game on Saturday night, um, and... Then I, I, I listened to a good portion of the game on, on Sunday, and I listened to some of the opening day game on, uh, I was listening to Euchre's feed on, mm-hmm. on, on satellite radio where I was. And with the exception of the ninth inning on on uh, opening day Thursday, and I understand it's only three games, <laughs> this year's Brewers team looks a lot like last year's mm. Brewer team as far as, like, I'm, I'm looking at their, and I understand it's only three games. The and the Twins are good. Season, and the Twins are, good. Are, are good, but... Um, Boy, Christian Yelich, two fifty. Garcia, two twenty two. Colton Wong, two hundred. Urias, one sixty seven. Lorenzo Kane, one forty three. Jackie Bradley, one twenty five. Keston Hero, zero zero zero. Uh, time look at there. They'll okay, there. all right. I I'm, I look. Believe me, I, <laughs> I I I hope you're right. It's just like wow, you know. And Saturday night they they ran into a really good pitcher and stuff, but they like struck out fifteen, that, sixteen, seventeen. It was painful to that's watch. That's just unf- that, and that you know, and for Burns to pitch as well as he was that in game two, that Saturday game, that just kills you. All right, there is another night, and again, it's an early season, early season, but. I, hopefully they will they will turn it around <laughs> and that inability hit for sixty games last yes. year will just be a blip. Okay, so that's yes. all right. We're 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 agreed on that. But ooh, kind of tough to watch. All right. Um, one of the things that was announced last week um, when I was away is the fact that um, it appears that we are on the verge of having a, a enormous casino um, that's going to be run in Beloit. Uh, Tony Evers signed off on a deal which would allow the Ho-Chunk Nation to build um, one of the largest casinos in the state, and they will build it in Beloit. Evers gave his approval for land in Beloit to be taken into trust by the federal government, and this follows a decision by the Department of Interior that allows 32 acres to be taken into trust for the purpose of developing a new casino. Um, they estimate that this project is going to create more than 1,500 jobs at the casino resort complex, and they estimate that it's going to create more than 2,000 construction jobs. Now, there's still a little bit more uh, approval that has to go through, but it's 
strikes me is these are going to be technicalities. You're, you're going to get this casino in Beloit. The casino complex would be one of the largest casinos in the state. It would feature a 300-room hotel, 45,000 square feet of meeting and convention space, and a 40,000-square-foot indoor water park located just north of the Illinois border and immediately west of um, the interstate. They haven't determined when the project's going to be completed, but they're they're anxious to get this started um, right away. And it's going to face some competition because there's another casino, like a hard rock casino, that they're looking at building in, in Rockford, which would be relatively close as well. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I confess that when I thought, when I saw this story, that there were three words that, that came to mind. And those words were Dairyland, Greyhound Park. We would have had the opportunity a number of years ago, we would have had an opportunity to see a large-scale casino that would be built on the site of the Dairyland Greyhound Park. Um, That ultimately was shut down. Governor Walker wouldn't sign off on it. The Republicans in the legislature that that opposed this, and a lot of people in the community opposed it as well. I... I was a proponent of it because I thought it was a lost opportunity, and you had a chance of having a lot of people who would drive up from Chicago who would be willing to, you know, spend their money on it. Now, one of the complicating things was Jim Doyle, when he was a governor, signed a really, really bad deal from the perspective of the state. And what would have happened is if you would have allowed the Dairyland uh, Casino to be built, it would have resulted in you know, Potawatomi getting, uh, uh, essentially getting a, a huge break because the state would have had to essentially re, uh, reimburse Potawatomi for losses that their casino suffered. This is not the same sort of situation because you know, geographically it's further away, but it's going to be a huge casino. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So let's tee this up. Did Evers do the right thing by signing off on a new casino in Beloit? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And for people who say, well, you know, if, if you supported it with Governor Walker, you know, you, you know, you'll just automatically, you know, oppose it if it's Tony Evers. Well, here's where I, I prove you wrong. I think Evers did the right thing. I think this is going to be an economic boom for Beloit. And I think what you're going to find is a lot of the people that are going to be patronizing. Now you can argue about whether you know it's good or bad to build a uh, to, to build you know revenue around gaming. But the bottom line of this is you know nobody forces people to go to gambling casinos. This is I think a challenging time for casinos you know moving forward. But I, I think. If this is something that attracts people, particularly people from Illinois, to come up and leave some dough in in Beloit or the state of Wisconsin, I, I'm all in favor of it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, do we need another large-scale casino in Beloit? Or, or maybe that's not the right question, whether we need a large-scale casino in Beloit. question is, should we have a large-scale casino in Beloit? We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Tex in Madison. Hi, Tex. Good afternoon. Hey. Um, I think you did the right thing. Absolutely. And uh, now I wish they would make uh, 
sign off on sports gambling in the state. Well, you know, you raise Wouldn't an that be great? Well, you you know, you raise a real interesting point because they, they have legalized sports betting in Illinois. They have it in Iowa, I believe. So, I mean, you're, that, that's who you're competing with. And I guess I, I agree with you uh, because, to, to me, it's, it's, you can't be a little bit pregnant. If you're going to have gambling, if you're going to allow people to go and play blackjack and cards and slot machines, why don't you also allow them to you know, bet on professional sports or bet on college sports or whatever? It just, if, if you're going to have gambling, why don't you just have gambling, I guess is how I've always seen it. That's a lot of money going over the border if it would only allow to have it here. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. And it's going to, from a competitive perspective, um, especially if Illinois goes ahead and allows the, the Hard Rock Casino to go into Rockford, it's going to be in direct competition with the, the Beloit Casino. And if you offer things like, again, sports betting. And look, no, nobody is holding a, a gun to anybody's head and saying, hey, you've you got to drive down to Waukegan you know, and place a, a bet on the brewer season or whatever. Nobody's holding a gun to people's head to doing that. But if, if that option is available right across the border, why not take advantage of it? And I think the legislature really needs to wake up on this stuff because we're we're losing a lot of of revenue from this and all the same people that are arguing well we need to legalize marijuana well my my because we, we need to be able to compete with these other states I, i'd say let's take the low-hanging fruit we've already got casino gambling that is legal in the state of wisconsin why why don't we just expand it to give people again what it is that they want and and here's the other reality that's going on now that, that i mean the casino business has been absolutely devastated by by COVID nineteen, I mean, I don't know what the latest numbers are out out of Potawatomi, but you know they were closed for a long time. I think they've still got like the poker room and their their, their race betting thing. I think that's still closed. They're still operating under severe limitations as the number of people can come in. It's going to be, and people have fallen out of the habit. Um, it's it's going to be a long time before they come back. So. I mean, I think that the more things we can do to encourage those people who decide that that's how they want to spend their discretionary income, I, I think, you know, we, we need to look at it. And I agree with you, Tex. You know, sports betting is the low-hanging fruit. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, welcome back, Jeff. Um, as an outsider, I'm not aware of a lot in Beloit that would make someone want to travel to Beloit and hang out there besides the minor league baseball team. And I think that just having the casino and another possibility um, for more shows to come would be a good thing for that area. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't I don't see the downside of this, given the fact that, again, the genie when it comes to gambling is out of the bottle. You know, 25 years ago, if we wanted to have the argument about should we allow gambling? okay, that that's an argument you have. But the genie's out of the bottle. Why? Why not allow it to an area that's been you know hit pretty hard economically? Maybe it's something if if it creates 1500 jobs, God bless them. That's 1500 jobs plus another 2000 construction jobs. That's the argument I made about the casino at Dairy. Land. Yeah, I can't think of a reason why not to have it. I'm completely stumped right now. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. No, I think Evers marked the tape on this, did the right thing. Now, I, I acknowledge that the Dairyland issue was more complicated, and because n- not 
not would it have been an ideal site and would it have attracted gamblers from from Illinois, it, but it, it would have hurt Potawatomi. There's no question about it because one of the general rules of gambling is you don't drive past one casino to get to another. The, the p- biggest problem with Dairyland was the very, very bad deal, like I said earlier, that then-Governor Jim Doyle cut that would have essentially required, if you put the casino in dairy at, at Dairyland, it would have required the state to... Uh, reimburse, I could get into technicalities, but like reimburse Potawatomi for losses. So that that took away a lot of the economic incentive. So I I understand it was a more difficult situation. But here to me, this is a no-brainer. Now, I I do actually a kind of thoughtful... thoughtful, you know, email or text somebody saying, well, Jeff, the, the problem is with COVID, what's happened is that there's a number of, you know, businesses in the so-called tourist industry that's just been absolutely devastated over the course of the last year. And do we, do we want to, should we concentrate on rebuilding those industries before we open something else? And I, I understand that argument, but the truth of the matter is, Look, I, if, if Wisconsin Dells is able to come back and if the water parks and all these things are able to come back, I think that's going to be independent of a casino that, that goes up in Beloit because you do have all this casino gaming. I think it's a tough time right now. and I think casinos, and you're starting to see this in Las Vegas, people are starting to come back, but nowhere near the numbers that they were. I don't know what the gaming, gaming industry is going to look like six months from, year, from now or a year from now. Don't know whether people are going to return like they did. Don't know whether people are going to commit their disposable income to doing it. But I guess if a water park in the Wisconsin Dells um, succeeds or fails, I don't think it's going to be because of of a casino in Beloit. I, I think this will be a success, or at least as successful as a casino in Wisconsin can be, at least in the short run. I think Evers got it right. Yeah, mark the tape on that one. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I pride myself on reading a bunch of books. I, I always have two or three going at any given time. One that I finished not that long ago, it's, it's a book. It was kind of a behind-the-scenes look at the TV show 60 Minutes. It's called Ticking Clock, and it's by a guy named Ira Rosen, who was a, a producer at 60 Minutes for a long time. He was Mike Wallace's producer. He hated Mike Wallace. I mean, it's it's sort of it's one of these kind of gossipy things, and he, he talks about all the people he worked with and all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. But it, it, it's, it's a quick read. Um, but and it's not the best book I ever read, and clearly the guy's got some axes that he's grinding. But it's an interesting look at at how the, these new shows get put together and the agenda that different people have. And I'm going to tell you something. There was a hatchet piece that was done yesterday on 60 Minutes that's just it's just kind of mind blowing. The governor of Florida, this guy named Ron DeSantis, he is a rising star in the Republican Party because of the way you know he he handled COVID, which is essentially to say I'm not going to lock us down. Um, and we're going to open up faster than everybody else, and we're going to have kids back in schools. And what they found is the, the numbers in Florida weren't any worse as a practical matter than they were in some of the, these other large states. But he, but he's, he's had a, DeSantis has had a target on his back because he's an unapologetic conservative. Well, here, here's the deal. One of the things that DeSantis, the governor of Florida, was really big about is rolling out the vaccines. So, you know, in Wisconsin, we had these huge problems with getting vaccines out. Now, that's, that's, 
kind of gone by the wayside, and that's good. But we were really slow to get these rollouts. Well, Florida wasn't that way. And one of the things that DeSantis did early on is he went to like public health commissioners, and he said, look, here, here's the deal. We've, we've got to figure out a way to get you know shots in arms. And one of the things they did, he, he went out and he said, look, here's the idea. Let, let's figure out how we can get some of these private businesses that are involved. In Florida, the big supermarket chain is called Publix. And actually, they're pretty darn good stores. But think, think Pick and Save, Metro Mart. They're, they're kind of stores like that. But they're all over Florida. So what DeSantis does is he goes to, uh, again, his commission. He says, okay, how can we get stuff out there? And Publix comes up, and Publix says, look, we're, we're ready to go. I mean, you get us this vaccine, and we're going to start We're going to start getting shots in arms. And so they, they say, great, that, that's fine. Let's, let's do this. We'll, we'll get it. So they start getting shots in arms. Well, okay, the 60 Minutes quote-unquote expose is that Publix, which is owned by a, a, a conservative billionaire, Publix has been a big supporter of DeSantis for a long time, and they, they make a donation to the DeSantis campaign, a lot of money, hundred grand or something like that. So 60 Minutes has decided, okay, this is play for pay. You know, Publix is distributing this vaccine. They give money to your campaign. This, there's got to be this quid pro quo. And, of course, what they ignore or choose not to report on is the fact that, it, it, I mean, DeSantis, yeah, he signed off on this, but this is what the public health officials were saying. Publix is in a position to, to administer these vaccines as quickly as possible, and at the end of the day, isn't it that goal? But 60 Minutes didn't want to care about the details. In an excerpt they sent out, they selectively edited um, DeSantis's explanation explaining how it was that Publix was the one that started doing all these shots. It's just another example of, like, again, the mainstream media has an agenda. They're out to get um, DeSantis, and this is the type of thing that, that fits into that, where at the end of the day, you look at Florida's vaccine rollout, and it was a success, period. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.